Welcome to Nuance in Healthcare, a project by Nuance Communications. I'm your host, Jeff Large. On today's show, I spoke with Kathy Gormanklug, RN, MSN, and the director of the Quality Service Line at Nuance Communications. We'll pick up the conversation where she provides more detail about what she is responsible for on her day-to-day basis. My name is Kathy Gormanklug, RN, MSN, and I am the director of the Quality Service Line at Nuance Communication, where I'm also responsible for the product roadmap and product management. All right. So what does that, I mean, the project management, that makes sense, but can you give me maybe like a short synopsis or a little more detail on kind of what you're responsible for on a day-to-day or a week-to-week? Sure. What I'm responsible for on a daily basis or as part of my role is to really capitalize on my previous experience on the hospital side, working in the regulatory accreditation and compliance areas. So in addition to monitoring the environmental landscape for regulatory rules that come out, say, from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services and the Joint Commission, it's also really to look at the overall horizon and landscape to see what the current trends are in healthcare, where we think that our clients would benefit from us providing them additional analytics solutions. Mm -hmm. I know we'll talk about this a little later, but this really came to the forefront, you know, during COVID. Mm -hmm. So this is really what I do for a living. I look to see what's out there and look to see and think back to if I was still on that side of the desk, what would I want my vendor to do for me to make my life easier? Yeah, I love that. I love the fact that you have that experience you can bring to the the table. And I love to throw that in because it makes people drool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's so good. So you alluded to this a little bit, but let's talk just pre-COVID for a minute. I'm sure, what were some of the more recent like pain points sure. that you were starting to witness, say, for physicians in the hospitals that you're working with? Sure. You know, one of the things, if you, if you talk to people and you look at quality reporting and quality improvement, Most people, even on the hospital side, who aren't really involved in this, really just think about when CMS or the Joint Commission comes in to do their annual or biannual inspections. That's, you know, the big scramble to make sure you get your quality measures in to meet the thresholds and to make sure the areas look pristine for all the on-site inspections. But that may have been the landscape years ago, but very gradually it has changed, not just for acute care providers, but also for physicians themselves. And when you look at the number of quality measures that are out there, it's kind of interesting because there's really two terms. In my mind, because this is where my mind came from, and most of the folks that we work with on the hospital side, quality measures are what you report to Joint Commission and CMS. That's the reporting requirements. And from a physician's perspective, it's also the quality payment program that they have to report. But there's also many, many other requirements for reporting and tracking. And those are called quality indicators. And they're a little more difficult to kind of get your arms around. They're not as black and white as the manuals that come out from Joint Commission and CMS that say this is the evidence. You know, this is what you need to provide us that as evidence that you complied. And in a recent study, and I did run some numbers recently, and this really hasn't changed one way or the other, there are approximately 630 quality indicator and quality reporting requirements 
that healthcare is required to monitor. And it goes across many, many domains. It's billing, it's the Medicare conditions of participation, fraud and abuse, EHRs, we've all heard about meaningful use, post-acute care. Privacy and security has kind of crept its way into the quality arena as well. The integrity of your program, which obviously is the integrity of the data that you're reporting. Quality reporting and value-based payment models. And you know, as we all know, none of this is cheap. And when you look at this, overall, hospitals are spending roughly $40 million on regulatory burdens. And you know, that's a large burden. And as I mentioned back in, you know, back in the old days, it really was just joint commission and CMS that really looked at quality measures. But now there's a myriad of them, including financial payers and private payers. So many of the large insurance companies are actually looking and requiring facilities to provide them the information on how they're performing on their quality indicators and their quality measures. And they're using that as leverage to um, negotiate managed care contracts because they're looking for facilities that have the best patient outcomes at the lowest cost. There's also a non-regulatory group, um, and I'm sure most people have heard of this, and it's called the Leapfrog Group. They're basically an industry watchdog. It's important to report to them because in addition to what we've seen with the, some of the payers saying, well, if you participate in Leapfrog, whose whole purpose is you know seamless point of care vision into how facilities are performing and what their patients' outcomes are, we will incentivize you with X number of dollars. The other important reason to really report to Leapfrog, and you know, we encourage our clients to do this and we assist them in collecting the data, is that if you look at the Leapfrog website, it will show, say you pick a state, I don't know, Montana, and it will pop up every single hospital in the state of Montana, and it will show their performance on the various requirements that Leapfrog collects. But on the flip side of it, if you are one of the facilities that does not report to Leapfrog, they do not say that you do not participate. And I know it's semantics, but when this is what you see on the screen, it says declined to provide data. So most people and you know the general public, <laughs> their head goes to, well, the data is so bad, they don't want to provide it. And very often, in most cases, that is not the case. It's just a cumbersome thing to do when it's one more. Fortunately, many people are now reporting, and there are some financial incentives if you do very well and you get your data in early for participating in LeapFrog. So, you know, not that I'm plugging any particular reporting, but I'm just, you know, these are the things, you know, that are out there. When you also look at who else is talking about your quality measures, obviously the local media, they are looking at it and, you know, they pit one facility against the other. Not only is it the billboards that you see on the highways, but all of the local papers and some of the large papers will actually publish quality scores and outcomes without really quite candidly presenting like a true clear picture, mm -hmm. but it's in the media. And, you know, that has a reputational risk if you're not presented appropriately. And another watchdog group, obviously, is AARP. AARP 
you can't pick up one of their magazines or see any of their publications where they are not talking about and touting healthcare quality and healthcare compliance and healthcare outcomes. So it's out there. And for a presentation we had done, we actually did a lot of research onto where people look about healthcare quality. And it's LeapFrog, AHRQ, they will look at the Medicare hospital compare data, but it's old. It's two to three years old. So they are able to, you know, that, that's old. Nobody wants to look at it. And it's usually a female, usually of the ages of 40 and above. And they are researching healthcare options for not only themselves, but for their entire extended family. And that means also their parents as well. So, you know, in the old days or, you know, in the 60s and 70s, and maybe even to an extent in the 80s, people got their health care throughout the rest of their life and they brought their family to the same physician. Or if they needed to be admitted to a facility, they tended to select facilities where they had had their babies and that loyalty was there. That, that loyalty is not there anymore. We see that in many states where not only are they leapfrogging hospitals within the state, but they're also leapfrogging states because they feel that they'll get better care you know, in a different state. I'm based in New Jersey. New Jersey has excellent quality outcomes, but we continually see people going to Philadelphia and New York City for healthcare. Granted, there are some specialties that are done at much higher volume and thus usually have better expertise in those states. But there's generally the tendency from what we've seen, not only from my professional life, but from my personal life, that the first thing people look to do is, oh, we got to go to New York City or we have to go to Philly. So these are all important pieces of how quality measures impacts an organization's and a physician's overall reputation, as well as their ability to create the volumes that they need to get their reimbursements and their incentives from the various quality organizations. Mm -hmm. Okay. Clearly, there's a lot we have to consider. And then the other thing that you alluded to in the beginning is now we're dealing with COVID. We have this kind of pandemic and leveling degrees on our hands, depending on your geographical location. What do you feel like maybe are the top one or two things that has made a lot of what you just discussed more challenging now that we're also dealing with COVID? Sure. Well, in the midst of the COVID outbreak, which we probably still are, depending on where you live, the coding organizations came out with changes to ensure that there were ICD-10 codes to capture information related to COVID. And there are organizations out there that are requiring hospitals to track and report their COVID outcomes, including the analytics to monitor, track, and trend cases. So they are out there. I know there has been a lot of controversy in the media lately that the CDC is no longer going to be you know, the clearinghouse for collecting all of that data. However, it's important for everyone to understand that while the CDC is not collecting it, CMS is collecting it as are local and state health organizations across the country. Some of the regulatory agencies have also added in data elements for general patients to include abstracted and answered questions as part of a radio button, if you will, to really rule out whether or not the patient 
had COVID, may have had COVID, may not have had COVID, or had any other infectious disease process. What we're seeing a lot of is a lot of asks and a lot of trending as to the impact of the COVID on sepsis outcomes within hospitalized patients. There's been demonstrated that a lot of COVID cases actually wind up being sepsis cases. And there's really a big push for organizations to really do a deep dive into basically say what came first, COVID or sepsis or sepsis or COVID. So for organizations to really take this deep dive and look at their analytics, look at their trends, many organizations are doing an absolute phenomenal job doing this. And it will be interesting to see moving forward because the CMS and Joint Commission require a lot of documentation about seasonal flu and flu vaccines. So while they haven't come out with their final requirements for 2021 yet, I wouldn't be surprised to see how they're going to either create some additional more stringent reporting requirements or dovetail some of these requirements onto existing measures. Okay. And so with all of this, clearly we're covering a lot, but with all of this in mind, do you have any specific advice for physicians and hospitals who are really trying to adapt to this problem. And then again, like you said, depending on where you're at, even in a phase where they're potentially able to start recovering from it, what kind of specifics could you give us there? Sure. I I think the most important advice I would give is look at what you're tracking. Look at what you're reporting overall in your organization. And if at all possible, try and decrease your regulatory tracking burden down to the things that are the most important, the ones that are publicly reported, the ones that you have a financial stake in the game for, and really loosen up and focus on the things where, such as COVID reporting and COVID monitoring and tracking, because this really is, as we all know, a public you know, health pandemic that none of us have ever lived through before and hopefully never will again. And this is where the focus is. This is where the fears are. Hospitals and physicians are acutely aware that patients are deferring routine procedures. Even some suspected MIs, people are not going to facilities because they're so terrified of getting COVID just by showing up. So really put your energies where they are to help track this, provide the data available to ensure the general population that, yes, we are you are doing a good job because everyone is doing a phenomenal job and that their overall health is just as important as in the world of COVID as is COVID. You know, there's a a trend in the pediatric world right now that pediatricians are extremely concerned about, that parents are deferring routine immunizations as part of COVID because they just don't want to go into a a pediatrician's office. We don't know if schools are going to open. And, you know, many of these diseases that are out there, the pediatric infectious diseases, that are all state reportable, they pretty much have been eradicated by vaccines. We don't want to be in a position where lack of childhood immunizations creates another healthcare crisis. So putting the public at ease will also help to serve improved revenue. I just read an article this morning that primary care practices are suffering financially because people don't want to go into the practice for fear of being ill. 
We know many, many hospitals have lost millions of dollars a month because there are no elective procedures or elective cases. So by comforting the general public and being transparent as to really what you're doing and how you're doing will really assist in the financial recovery. Mm-hmm. And then my final question for you is, even just based on those tips you just gave us, are there any success stories or examples of success that you've seen within this realm? Well, if you look at the numbers for the state of New Jersey and New York, which obviously I monitor very closely because of where I am, really flattening the curve by following the procedures that are out there for everyone's protection, those are definitely success stories. You know, both New York and New Jersey have seen a huge decrease in the number of cases, and most importantly, the number of deaths and hospitalizations and intubations based on the COVID pandemic. So the success stories is follow the guidance, follow the guidance and you'll be able to A, gain back your consumer population's confidence and B, be able to recover financially. Perfect. This was super informational. Kathy, thank you for your time. Oh, it it was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Nuance in Healthcare. To realize your improved revenue, visit nuance.com forward slash revenue.